and welcome to the Gloucester Vineyard Church weekly podcast. We are creating a community which brings hope and joy to Gloucester and we're really thrilled that you've downloaded this message. This week we are talking about money. It was one of the main things that Jesus spoke about um, because he believed that money is an incredibly powerful force in our lives and how if we're considering a relationship with him we need to break up with money first. Uh, I hope this message blesses you and gives you cause for reflection. There's a short time of response at the end of this so please take that time to do business with God if that's where you're at. So without further ado, here we go. So, anybody here ever been to Cheltenham races? Show of hands. Yeah, who's been to the races? Oh, very few, just, just me and you, buddy. Anybody ever, you've been, have you? Very good. What about the dogs? Anybody ever been to, been to the, there you go, a couple more people, or any kind of horse racing or anything? Yeah, it's a couple of hands, yeah. I'm just, I'm just writing all these names down for later. I, I went to Cheltenham Races for the first time last Christmas. It's a, a bit of an experience for me. I'd never been to the race course before. Fascinating experience. And I'd had some advice from people before I went. They said, you know, take a bit of money with you, you know, bet on a couple of horses, just, just kind of take that as the cost of your evening away. And I'm like, okay, whatever, I'm open-minded, I'll give this a shot. So I took 20 quid with me. And I went and I, I bet on a horse. Like it's, it's the most ridiculous system. You go down there and you can see who's running in the next race and you're like, pick the funniest name of a horse with the worst odds, bet on them, and then basically just watch them lose and go, yeah, there we go, I lost a fiver, there we go. You go downstairs again and you go, that's a funny name, I'll bet on that one. You go upstairs, you watch your horse, your horse loses. Okay, fine, there we go. And then I bet on a funny looking horse. I bet on, a, I bet on his silly name, he had terrible odds and he came in second. And I went, oh, hang on a minute. I almost won 80 quid there. I came here with 20, I nearly got 80. And I'm thinking, I only have to do that once and I'm quids in. So I go downstairs and this time I'm with like purpose. I'm like, okay, the stupidest name, the worst odds, that one. So I put my last five pound on that horse and I'm excited now because I'm gonna win some money. And of course the horse, and literally the, the rider fell off the horse at the beginning. It's like, just didn't even run, it was pathetic. And I lost, I'd lost all of my 20 pounds. And then this little voice just kind of came into my head and said, you only have to win once and you can get all your money back. And I started thinking, I saw a cash machine somewhere. I only have to win once. I, c- I nearly won once, I'm, I'm getting better at this. So I went downstairs and I got 10 pounds out this time. I was like, I'm gonna put 10 pounds on one of these horses. So I went down, I was like, this is the time. And I bet on the funniest looking horse, the funniest name, the worst odds, and it lost. I lost another 10 pounds. I just kind of sat there thoroughly depressed and just kind of, and then my logical brain kicked in and I just went, what did I just do? Like I'm a logical, rational bloke, what did I just do? Something just kicked in then and I did something that was pretty silly, really. I decided I was gonna spend 20 pounds, I lost all my money, I knew that was gonna happen, and then something kicked in and I lost even more. What just happened? Strange dynamic happened. It's happened to me another time. Uh, in one of my previous jobs, my manager sat me down once, we were having our annual appraisal, and he said, oh Daniel, we're very happy with you. You know, you've done a great job, you've worked very hard, we wanna acknowledge all your hard work, so we wanna give you a pay rise. We wanna give you a 10% pay rise. And this was totally out of the blue, like I was not expecting this. And, um, and so all of a sudden, I've, I've got myself a 10, 10% pay rise out of nowhere. And I cannot tell you, for the rest of the day, I was convinced that I was at least 10% better than everybody else I met. I was on cloud nine, like 10% better than you, 10% better than you. And I felt like a million, I felt like a million pounds, like the greatest man alive. What the heck is going on? It's like a 10% pay rise, come on. What's going on there? 
In both of those stories, there's a dynamic which kicked in, which caused me to think, feel, and act in some pretty out-of-character ways. Both of those stories involve money. Guys, this morning we're talking about money. And Jesus talked about money all the time, which really is no surprise because it plays a key role in all of our lives, doesn't it? A couple of weeks ago, I did uh, a little talk on what Jesus meant when he used the word believe. Because when we hear the word believe, we tend to think it's kind of an up here thing. But when Jesus talks about believing in him, it's more of a heart thing. It's more like a trust thing. Jesus is inviting us into a trust-filled relationship with him. And I think for all of us, when we come towards Jesus, when we're considering this trust-filled relationship with him, there's a hurdle, the kind of like the first one that we have to gallop over. And I think that that hurdle is money. And it's a hurdle that we have to continually gallop over. And I think that Jesus was not surprised by this. And it's why he talked about money so much. It was his number two topic of conversation. He talked about it all the time. Um, if you missed my talk that I did a couple of weeks ago on Believe, you can catch up. Uh, it's on our website, it's on our Vimeo channel, and it's on our brand new podcast. Way! I've wanted to have a podcast for such a long time, and that's exciting. Uh, you can find it on iTunes or Spotify. It's going to be on Google soon, but yeah, download the podcast, and you'll make me very happy. Um, anyway, that's a tangent. So, as we choose to follow Jesus and come to learn what it means to live and trust him, money is one of the first hurdles that we have to jump over. And Jesus had an awful lot to say on the subject, and he spoke really strongly on the subject. Jesus' core conviction is that money is a powerful force, that money is not neutral, and how we relate to money will either, generate, will either be a great path to joy or a path which ends in miserable slavery. Jesus doesn't hedge his bets when he talks about money. He's not politically correct. He goes for the jugular, so I'm going to do it too, because I figure if Jesus did it, then I've got permission to do it too. Um, so what we're going to do this morning is we're going to step into somebody else's shoes. We're going to step into somebody else's shoes who met Jesus and talked to him about money. And this is a chap who had an awful lot of money, so he knew what he was talking about. It's a guy who had heard Jesus' teachings. He'd seen some of his miracles. He was compelled by his message, and he was ready to get on board. Um, he's ready to start a relationship with Jesus. We're going to be reading this morning from uh, one, of the author, one of the biographies of Jesus' life. It's written by a chap called Mark. It's in chapter 10. I love Mark's biography because he just cuts straight to the chase. He's like, action. Uh, but he goes, chapter 10. This rich chap comes up to Jesus, says this, as Jesus was starting out on the way to Jerusalem, a man came running up to him, knelt down and asked, good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And as we unpacked a couple of weeks ago, when we're talking about eternal life, we're talking about that trust-filled relationship that starts now and goes on forever. And Jesus replied, well, my friend, you know the commandments. Don't kill people. Don't sleep with your neighbor's wife. Don't steal stuff. Don't tell lies. Don't cheat anyone. Honor your father and mother. And all of those many of us might recognize are the Ten Commandments. Those are like the headlines that this guy would have run his life by. Teacher, the man replied, I've obeyed all these commandments since I was young. Looking at the man, Jesus felt genuine love for him. There is still one thing you haven't done, he told him. Go and sell all your possessions and give your money to the poor and you will have treasure in heaven and then come and follow me. At this, the man's face fell and he went away sad for he had many possessions. So let's just take a moment to put ourselves in this guy's shoes. Why was Jesus giving him such a hard time? He's clearly doing a lot of the right stuff. Like from outward appearances, this guy's got it together. Like 
if following Jesus is about behavior, then this guy's got the behavior bit down, hasn't he? He's an upstanding citizen, he's got plenty of cash, and he sounds like your average middle-class Christian, if we're honest, doesn't he? And yet Jesus identifies for this man the one obstacle to the man's entering the kingdom of God, as Jesus put it, or starting that trust-filled relationship that we were talking about the other week. And that was this guy's relationship with his money. Because we learn from the interaction between this guy and Jesus that he had a relationship with his money. He had a living, breathing, trust-filled relationship with his money and his possessions. And he was pursuing a living, breathing, trust-filled relationship with Jesus. This guy doesn't just have a lot of money and things. He's come to love them. He's come to love them so much that he can't let them go, even if he wants to, even if it means gaining a relationship with Jesus, the thing that he claims that he wants more than anything else. Jesus um, identified this dynamic in people all the time, and he put it really neatly another time in Matthew's biography of Jesus' life. Jesus was talking about our attitudes towards giving to the poor and trusting God to provide uh, what we need, and he says this. Jesus said, no one can serve two masters, for you will either hate one or love the other, or you'll be devoted to one and you'll despise the other. You cannot serve God and be enslaved to money. So Jesus is making a pretty clear statement here about our relationship with money. He's of the opinion that it's actually not possible to have a living, breathing relationship with him if we're still in bed with money. And, okay, I'm just going to be really honest. I feel like Jesus is going a little bit over the top here. I've, because, you know, I'm in charge of my money. Like, I, I don't have a relationship with my money. I decide how I spend my money. Or at least I think I do. Because I think Jesus has got his finger on something here. He's got his finger on a characteristic of human nature for when we disregard how powerful money can be as a force in our lives. It's like me going to the races and having that little voice in the back of my head going, you can win it all back, Daniel. Or when I got that pay rise and I felt like a million dollars slash pounds. Um, it's waking up and paying attention to the ways in our lives that we're looking to money as a source of our value, as a source of our security, and as a source of our self-worth. It's the... Um, and all of those things, they are good and worthwhile things, but they're things that are best found in a relationship. And if we look to money for that relationship, it's not an equal partnership. It's not like, I love money and money loves me back. Jesus' core conviction is that when we enter into a relationship with money, we're entering into a slave-master relationship where money is the master and we are the slaves. It's a situation where the tail starts wagging the dog. Instead of me deciding how I'm going to spend my money, my money or lack thereof starts dictating how I'm going to live my life. We see it in that story with the rich young guy. You know, who was calling the shots in his story? Like, who was, who was choosing how he spends his money? It certainly wasn't him. His money was driving his relationship. His money was dictating how he feels, how he thinks, and how he acts. And I've got to be honest, I've noticed that dynamic in my life too. Instead of me dictating how I spend my money, it dictates how I think, how I feel, and how I act. And Jesus would describe that dynamic as enslavement. It's a provocative word, isn't it? But Jesus describes that dynamic that we can observe as enslavement. And guys, don't we just see that dynamic at play all the time in our own lives and in the lives of our friends and families? Like, we all know that guy who stays late at work every night, never gets to see his kids because he's chasing the overtime. 
or we all know that girl who just tried online poker once, and now she's sucked in, she's taken out loans to fuel her habit. Or the family who are just up to their eyes in credit card debt because they needed to keep up with their neighbours. At some point in all of those scenarios, at some point there was a transfer of power and somebody got enslaved. And don't we all know those people in those scenarios? And there are more. There's more that I could mention. Jesus is warning us that as human beings, if we're not careful, we can find ourselves enslaved to money. And I mean, is this just me? Does, is this ringing true for anybody else? It is just me. No, it's ringing true for a couple of other people as well. And I think, you know, it's, it's easy for us to uh, identify this dynamic in other people, isn't it? But I think it's also true for all of us deep down as well. I think that all of us, to some degree or another, have a relationship with money that we're looking to it for our safety, for our security, and for our value. And so to kind of expose that, we're going to do something ever so slightly uncomfortable. What we're going to do is we're going to have a little chat in our clusters. This is going to be wonderful. This is either going to work wonderfully or be a horrible car crash. So welcome to the social experiment, guys. But if you want to get together in your clusters, we're just going to answer two really simple questions. And you can answer these as honestly as you like, or you can say, actually, I'm not interested in answering. But I want you to answer two very simple questions. Question number one is, if I had more money, I would be dot, 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 dot. Or if I had considerably less money, I would be or feel dot, 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 dot. So I'll prime the pump. For me, the answer is if I had more money, I would feel safer, more secure. I wouldn't have to worry about things. And if I had considerably less money, I would feel insecure. I'd feel in trouble. I would worry about my daily life. So that's, that's my answer. I'm going to give you a couple of minutes. Get together in your clusters and share as honestly as you feel comfortable. If I had more money, I would be dot, dot, dot. And if I had less money, I would be dot, dot, dot. And guys on Zoom, you can take part as well. We can't hear you, so crack on. amazing. Um, or maybe it's about holidays or fun experiences or good food or feeling needed by kind of having people relying on you. Like whatever it is for you, whatever the relationship with your money, whatever the good and right and proper human need that we're turning to money to is a need that Jesus is jealous of. Jesus has got his finger on this dynamic. He knows that money is a tool, a powerful tool, which we can either use to unlock great joy or can be used to bring about great pain. And his encouragement for us is that if we think rightly about money, then we need to think about it as a power tool. You can uh, use a nail gun to build a beautiful house. I've never used a nail gun. Has anyone used a nail gun here? Is it as fun as it looks? It's, yep. You've got like some recoil on that bad boy. Anyway, it's like, a, it's like a massive drill with nails lodged in it, and you pull the thing, and it fires a nail into the... It's scary, but it looks awesome. Um, it's on my list of things to try. But you can use a nail gun to build something beautiful. You can build a beautiful house with a nail gun because it is a powerful tool. But if you get into bed with a nail gun, then one of you is going to get hurt, and it's not going to be the nail gun. Jesus' encouragement for us this morning is to not get into bed with a nail gun. And if we have found ourselves in bed with a nail gun, to dump the nail gun fast. Okay, so maybe I'm laboring the nail gun point a little bit hard, but I hope that that's made the point. 
Do you get my point? Anyway, that's too far. Money is, <laughs> I've lost half the room. Money is powerful. It causes us to, it can cause us to act against our futures and sabotage our own happiness. Or it can be used to build a hope and joy filled future. So Jesus says to the rich young man that if he wants to build a life in all of its fullness, if he wants a relationship with Jesus, the first thing he needs to do is break up with money once and for all. And how does he do that? How does Jesus advise this man to break up with money? It's pretty simple, really. As we heard earlier, he tells him to give his money away to those who have no money. And guys, Jesus' whole point here is not just to teach this poor young bloke a lesson. Jesus is looking to liberate this man from his slavery. He's looking to set him free from his slavery to money. And the Bible talks about slavery an awful lot. It's a really crucial theme that comes up again and again and again. So we do well to pay attention to it. But when the Bible talks about people being liberated from slavery, they don't just get liberated to kind of go into neutral. They get liberated from slavery in order to move into something so much better, to move into life in all of its fullness. It's not like I have a bad life because I'm a slave. I'm now free and I'm kind of like whatever. It's no, it's I have a bad life because I'm a slave. I'm now free and God leads me into a promised life full of hope and joy, a beautiful life that God has planned for us. So how does that dynamic work for money? If we are enslaved to money and Jesus wants to free us, what's step number three? What's he leading us into? What comes next? And Jesus and the history of the Jesus movement would answer that question loud and clear. And again, it's the same thing that Jesus said to that young man. And that is to learn how to be generous. Learn how to give our money away. Because Jesus' conviction is that money is powerful and that if it's used right, it is the path to the greatest joy in life or one of the greatest joys that we can ever know. Learning to be generous. Um, learning the joy of generosity. And so just as Jesus did with that rich young man, Jesus' message for us is exactly the same. Learn to be generous learn by doing. Give your money away. Jesus would say, give it away as much as you can. Give it away in large quantities. Give it away in small quantities. Give it to worthy causes. Give it to that homeless guy who is just going to go and spend it on booze. Because by the way, if you were in his shoes, you'd do exactly the same. Give it in an envelope to a stranger. Pay for somebody else's shopping. Send your worst enemy a tenor. Have your default answer to those annoying sponsorship forms be, yes, I would love to sponsor you. All of these ways will teach you the unfathomable joy of generosity. Some of us have experienced that joy in our lives, and I can tell you, it's like absolutely nothing else on earth. Jesus wants to set us free from slavery to money into a life of joyful generosity. And some of us have experienced that joy. Um, there are some people who are sat in this room who I know have experienced that joy. Uh, it's the joy you feel when you have the right tool for the job, when you're using something for its designed purpose. It's contagious and it's addictive and there's just nothing like it. Um, but there's more to it than that. And I don't know how else to describe it other than to just say that the feeling I get when I give my money away, it's like the feeling of being free. 
it feels like being free. I don't know how else to describe it. Um, when Emily and I have done this in the past, when we've decided to give our money away, I always expect to feel rubbish. I always expect to regret it afterwards. I always expect to go, oh, I really wish we hadn't done that. But I don't. I always feel this surge of joy and this feeling of incredible freedom. So I can completely chime with Jesus when he's talking about enslavement because for me, I found that to be the case, that when I've chosen to end that relationship with money and push into generosity, there's joy and freedom on the other side of it. And those of us who have learned the joy of generosity um, in the moment have also learned the next step too, many of us have, and that is to plan for generosity. It's one thing to be generous in the moment, but to budget generosity, budget for generosity, is to invite joy into our diaries. I mean, it's joy from a spreadsheet. I mean, some of us know that joy. A good spreadsheet. I mean, come on. These remarkable people look at their incomings and their outgoings, and they select a percentage and say, that percentage I'm giving away. I'm not touching that because it's not mine. That is for God. I'm going to use that to bless his people and his world. And you can pick whatever percentage you like, 1%, 10%, 50%. I heard of one uh, pastor in the States who committed to raising the percent that he gives away every year. Um, he currently gives away somewhere around 90% of his income, and he lives on the last 10%. And let me tell you, he is a joyful man. Uh, Emily and I really believe in this principle. So for years, we've committed ourselves to giving away 10% of everything that we earn. And most years, we end up giving uh, more than that. We've decided to give most of that to the church because we love the church. And we think that the church is God's best plan for bringing about hope in the world. So we figure it's the best place for our money. But we've also been really inspired by that guy who committed to increasing his giving year on year. So we've made the same pledge. You know, we want to grow in generosity as a family, but we also want to grow in joy. And so each year, we have committed to upping the percentage that we give away. And we've vowed that we will never lower it. So at present, Emily and I give away something like 11.5% of our income. And we actually worked it out the other day, and I thought it was higher than that. So we're going to have a little conversation in the next week, and that's probably going to go up. Um, but it's also a principle that we've baked into the DNA of this church. Since day one, we've given away 10% of our income to projects in and out of this city, which we feel are in line with God's heart. We've also committed to raising that percentage as well. Each year, because we, we want to be a community that is growing in generosity as well. So we're about to make a presentation to our trustees about the budget for next year. And in next year's budget, we're probably going to give away about 17.5% of our total income to worthy projects in this city where, that are bringing hope and joy to those living in poverty in Gloucester. So what's the point of me saying all this? I've rabbited on an awful lot. Jesus is inviting us into a relationship with him, and he's offering to teach us how to use our money, how to use our money as a source of joy and a way to bring about change in the world for the better, to grow in wisdom and generosity and love. And so we are going to take some time to respond to that invitation now. Uh, Rich and Jeremy, do you want to come and join me again? Thank you. So as these guys lead us in a time of response, uh, we're just going to do some business with Jesus in our hearts. We're going to put ourselves in the shoes of that rich young guy, and we're going to respond to Jesus' call to live generous lives in our hearts. And I think just take some time to identify some of those barriers. What are the things that are rising up in my heart as resistance to that call from Jesus?
But as I said earlier, many of us, we're going to need to respond with some kind of action. Many of us need to put some time aside in the coming weeks to just look at our finances and decide that we're going to break up with money, that we're going to be the boss of money for a change. And if you want my advice, I, just, I suggest you pick a percentage. Pick a scary percentage of your income. 5% is fairly terrifying. 10% is a real stretch. If you want to get all legalistic and religious about it, some people bandy around 10%, but actually in the society that Jesus grew up in, it would have been more like 25% of their income. So please make your checks payable to Gloucester Vineyard Church. Um, but start with a scary percentage, whatever that would be for you and commit to raising it each year as you learn to grow in generosity and grow in joy and, and give it away. Give it away to a cause that you believe in. Give it away to something that is bringing about change in the world and renewing things to the way that it was meant to be. And if you decide that you want to give all of it or some of it to us, we will use your money for one thing and one thing only, and that is bringing the kingdom of God here in Gloucester. So guys, I want to encourage you to stand, and we're going to take five or ten minutes to respond. And I think for, for many of us here today, this is going to be a kind of two-step process. And the first step is, is going to be a decision. A decision to identify the ways in our lives that we've got into a relationship with money and decide to kick it out, decide to take charge, decide to start using our money as a tool for generosity and for joy, to bring about God's purposes in the world. And the second part of that process, as I've said, is, is doing something about it. Something this week, something practical, to step out in generosity. So I'm going to pray for us now. The guys are going to lead us and we will respond to Jesus in our own ways. So Father God, we thank you for what we've heard this morning. We thank you for your call to live joyful lives. And we thank you for the call to be generous. We just want to identify those ways in our lives that we've become enslaved to our money, the ways that money has started calling the shots. And Father, where there's areas in our lives where we need healing, there's areas in our lives where we've made decisions in the area of money which have hurt us, hurt those around us, and have sometimes had long-reaching implications that have ricocheted through our lives and through the lives of others. Father, we ask you for your healing. We ask you for your forgiveness. We ask you to give us a fresh start. And for those of us who are here who have been the victims of that, where we've got somebody near us who have made financial decisions which have impacted our lives negatively. And for those of us who are still walking through that pain, Father, we ask that you would come and heal us. Father, we identify the areas where we are broken the areas where we're perpetrators, the areas where we're victims, and we just simply ask that you would heal us. So, there you have it. I hope you found that helpful and it's given you something to ponder about. I would love to invite you to join us at one of our Sunday morning gatherings. Currently we're meeting online and in person simultaneously. You can find out all the details of how to take part on our website, gloucestervineyard.org.